Welcome to Your Truth Revealed, a podcast that explores your hidden physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux, and I share with you the power of self-knowledge. I interview industry professionals to talk about how you can be your own mental health expert. You're listening to episode 29, Know Your Yoga Therapy. This is the first part of an interview with Jess Goulding. We talk about ways to integrate the yoga teachings in everyday life. This includes developing self-awareness and having agency, which is your power to make choices to be well. When I think of having agency, I think of having the ability to create change. I'm having my body's experience and simultaneously learning about how my body responds to thoughts, feelings, actions, so that I can then apply my own medicine. You can allow everyone in the world around you to be your teacher about your own experience. Jess Goulding earned her Bachelor of Fine Arts in Dance at the University of Texas at Austin. She then danced professionally in New York City. There, she became a certified yoga teacher at the Yoga Mandali Studio. She is a certified yoga therapist and yoga teacher in Austin, Texas. Listen as Jess and I discuss ancient yoga teachings that are backed by modern psychology and neuroscience. I first want to thank you, Jess, for agreeing to be on the show. I love yoga. It's one of my favorite practices, and I know that we met over 10 years ago when both of us were working at Yoga Yoga and then ran into each other relatively recently again. I'm excited to have this opportunity for us to chat today. I am too. It's been a fun reconnection and just seeing so many ways that we've intersected over the years has been fun. So I'm Mm -hmm. really happy to be here. I'm really happy to talk. Jess, you say that people have agency as it relates to their wellness. What does this mean to you? When I think of having agency, I think of having the ability to create change, that you're not stuck in a way that you have some power. This means you have power within your own wellness. You have the ability or the agency to create change. Yoga, through the way I teach and the way it is usually taught, teaches you to get in tune with your body so that you're in a conversation And when you're in this conversation between your mind and your body, then you start to realize, oh, if I adjust my breath, I feel a change in my body. If I think differently, my breath changes. Just that exposes the agency underneath. So if you realize, if I think differently, then my jaw doesn't tighten. Ah, okay. Well, now if my jaw isn't tight, then I don't have neck pain. Great. Now I don't have to seek outside authority on my body's experience. Mm. I'm having my body's experience and simultaneously learning about how my body responds to thoughts, feelings, actions, and so that I can then apply my own medicine. And I looked up in social science what agency is, and it's defined as the capacity of individuals to act independently and to make their own free choice. And what I heard you saying is that we have a lot more empowerment than we think that we do. So it's not always relying on those external experts to tell us how to feel better. Is that right? Exactly. I think having guides is super helpful. And anyone in your life who comes along and ignites that spark that's in you, there's a little spark of knowledge in there or knowing. And yoga teachers can do it. Counselors can do it. Therapists can do it. Your best friend might do it. Somebody at some point say something and you go, it's those aha moments where you realize, oh, that person doesn't actually know 
better how to heal me than I do, but I needed that little piece of information, right? So it folds itself into everyone being your teacher. You can allow everyone in the world around you to be your teacher about your own experience. Then agency can come up again, deciding who you're going to have in your sphere, who are your teachers. Mm -hmm. And the predominant teacher being yourself. Right, right. Yeah. And you get to have guides. I love the word guide or partner in the journey or mirror or witness. Gosh, when you think of your life partner and the teaching that they give you, if you're open to it, right, then that sparks agency to go, oh, this suffering that's happening. I have agency over that too. I can feel my way into this differently. I can change the way I think and it changes the structure of the relationship. I think empowerment is the word I would totally agree with is the one you used. And I would apply that here. Absolutely. And I've definitely had that experience with my husband where I'll be whining or complaining about something and he'll tell me, what are you willing to do about it? You have all these resources. What are you going to do? And I love it because it gets me out of being consumed by whatever physical sensation I'm having that's irritating or if I'm feeling sick and it puts me into action and I get better faster. I like it when he does that. (laughs) I may not have liked that 10 years ago, but today it works. Right. There was a process to get you to that point. (laughs) Yeah. And and those who undertake that process, they get to where you are. What you're telling me is your ego did not flare up and want to defend. Oh no, it was trust. Exactly. Yeah. That's what happens in relationship. I'm a yoga teacher, but also a yoga therapist. And one of the main teachings within yoga therapy, which is one-on-one, is that the healing is in the relationship. Absolutely. Right? That foundation of trust is the container for the healing that that person does on their own. Exactly. It's brilliant to see in action. And it allows me to go, I don't have to fix anybody. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to be the container. And the mirror, right? Reflect back a little bit. And then an educator. Here are the teachings from the sutras. How can you apply that? For those of us who don't know what the sutras are, can you explain that to our audience? Yes, they're thousand-year-old book of aphorisms. There are all these teachings about how to reduce suffering and work with the mind. And it's laid out so simply, so beautifully, all in Sanskrit. So it matters who you're sutra teacher is as to how they might translate it. And there's all kinds of debate and conversation around translations. I tend to draw from different commentary. So there's the translation and the commentary to really find then what speaks to my inner guide. Mm -hmm. And then that's what I can offer to someone else. One author or one person, one teacher's commentary on the sutras will vary from another. And whatever that person needs is what they're going to hear anyway. Mm -hmm. Going back to the sutras, those are over 2,500 years old, right? Right. Yeah. Estimated somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In talking about agency, do you see this come up as a yoga therapist when you're working with a client? Absolutely. When you work one-on-one, which is yoga therapy, applying the yoga to an individual practice. It's actually how the whole thing began. Someone might come to me and say, my shoulder hurts. Can you fix it? Well, let's ask, let's start an inquiry about your shoulder. And then my asking questions and giving a little guidance as to movement. The idea is that they start to realize they have the capability to heal their own shoulder. 
Right. As opposed to saying, hey, Jess, will you fix it for me? Yeah. Or they want to know what exercises can I do to fix it? Mm -hmm. This is always a question where I go, hmm, there might be exercises to fix it if it's a physical problem. However, if this is a problem where you have too much on your shoulders and you're being weighed down by stress and too much, then there's a different fix for that. What I'm hearing you say is just to look at it as a physical problem may not be the answer, that it might in fact be more mental or emotional if they're carrying stress there. Exactly. It might be that you know they were in a car wreck and it hurt their shoulder. Okay, then we work to release the trauma and stabilize. Mm -hmm. That's more of a physical practice. If all of a sudden, just over the past couple of weeks, this shoulder's been just kind of acting up, the pain comes and goes, it's just kind of dull, it's just kind of there all the time. And then we ask, well, when did it start? What was going on? Well, that was about five days ago. And I'd say it was when I learned that my child from college is going to come home and he's got some bad news. Okay. So somehow your body is deciding to manifest this idea, this experience as a load on your shoulders. And that's somaticizing that stress. Yeah. Where it shows up in the body. And that's a very literal example, but it, it's certainly a key component to figuring out what's going on here. And the agency comes in when all you do is say, let's consider what if your shoulder pain is coming from this burden? How might you address the burden on your mind? Then you can offer them a meditation, a breath, and then they start to go, oh, my shoulder doesn't hurt so much because I'm dealing with this stress. But I didn't do it. I didn't reach in there and fix it because they knew if you ask someone, well, what happened when it started? And they can tell you, oh, well, that's when I learned this. So in that 24 hours, they had a full day when the pain began. But something in them knew, okay, but I also learned this that day. Or that day my dog died, my back started hurting. Yeah, of course it did. Let's move into the grief part. We don't need to do a lot of planks here to stabilize. We need to move the grief right. through breath and movement. And I'm there to reflect back about what's going on in your life and how is it manifesting in your body, your mind, your sense of connection to the world. How is it manifesting in your relationships? I think we're created to be in relationship and we seem to outsource this to professionals, which is fine because there's deep things that need to happen. But sometimes talking it through with a best friend or your spouse or partner who's ever really on that journey is so good at reflecting that back. And then you can know that you have that thing within you that's like, oh, you know what? My back hurts because I miss my dog. And I'm going to go ahead and cry about it now. If I had that client in meditation, which is what I do, I would intentionally give space for that client to look at where they were feeling it in their mm -hmm. body, name it as grief, and then we breathe into it, feeling it completely, and then exhale and let it go. And it's remarkable how simply naming the emotion and where it's being felt in the body can help to move it along. Absolutely. It needs to be named. It needs to be named. It needs to be validated and ultimately let go of. There's a process there. There is a process. Yeah. I think we often need someone to help us with the naming. We as a culture have a really hard time naming our emotions. I've seen countless clients over the last 15 years, and it's remarkable to me how many of us don't know, for example, what the feeling of joy feels like in our body and how we confuse thoughts and feelings, and they're actually very separate. And in terms of our emotional intelligence, we're kind of behind, and I wish we taught this in elementary school. Yeah. 
Well, it's embedded in our culture. If you look at the Puritans, there was a big body-mind separation there. Yes. And so it's baked into who and how we are, is that the emotions are not to be trusted. Emotions are considered feminine and kind of out there. And we're a more masculine society here in America who want, I hate to say facts and figures as if they're bad. Those are excellent things, but they do reduce intuition and emotional intelligence. One of the things that I attempt to do with clients is to build both, that we have all these different faculties, that we have our emotions, we have our thoughts, we have logic, we have intuition, we have all these things. Why not use them all? Yeah. Instead of stifling one, because human beings are so multidimensional and we're amazing that way. And I like to bring people back into the wholeness of who they are. And exactly. We're all on a spectrum. We are. And so we want to continue to draw towards that center spectrum. So we're using all parts of ourselves, masculine, feminine, old, young, all of the different spectrums that we're on. Right. You have a pretty cool five-step self-check-in. Can you share that a little bit with us? Oh, absolutely. I love this. I think it's a great tool. It's not a huge invention that I have, but it's something I like to teach. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it... First, you recognize that there's several parts to who you are. You are body and mind and emotions and energy and spirit. Personality is part of it too. When you go through this five-step check-in, the idea is that you're checking in with all the aspects of yourself. This is going to give you a lot of information. You're going to know, oh, I'm real good at kind of checking in with my mind, but I don't really know how I feel or I feel my emotions deeply, but I don't know what to think about that. When you go through this five-step check-in, I like to start with the body, sit comfortably and wonder, how's my body today? And check in and notice, where do I feel tension? Where do I feel I'm holding? Because you're doing a lot that is unconscious and we want to bring consciousness to the experience of your body. And that is a beautiful practice in and of itself. Then check in with your mind because it's different all the time. Is my mind busy making lists? Is it worried about the future? Where are my thoughts right now? Where do I feel pretty calm and able to focus? Noticing that, right? And then one of the greatest tools is the breath. And this tells you how the whole system is working. And I think that takes practice over time to notice how you're breathing because breathing is one of those beautiful gifts that we don't have to think about. And thank heavens, because <laughs> if we had to think every thought, that would be breath, complicated. It'd be exhausting. Heartbeat, breath, go. Like we can't do that. It has to be automatic. So when you tune your mind to the automatic parts, then you get information there. If you know that when you are stressed, you breathe up into your chest, which most people do, well, then you get to notice, I haven't taken a deep breath in like five minutes or all day. And then you take a deep breath. Now notice that your mind shifts. Notice that your body shifts. The check-in, you go body, mind, breath, which tells you how your energy is running, how all that's going. Tune into your emotions then. Like, how am I feeling? What's the feeling beneath the breath? Am I feeling sad today? Mm -hmm. right? Is today a happy day? Check in with those emotions. And one of the things that I add to that is oftentimes we feel our emotion predominantly in our belly, chest, or our throat. And that can help the people that I'm working with to locate it and yeah. to really get familiar with what that emotion feels like. Yeah. Different emotions go to different places for different people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Then once that person gets to know that, talk about agency. Now they're tuned into their throat all the time and going, oh, throat constricting. All right, let me you know, move my neck, take some breaths. Mm -hmm. 
and they get to then be their own healer. For example, I recognized how much I was a chest breather, which is really common for a lot of people. So mm -hmm. super shallow breaths, that was my norm. And I had all this tension up in my neck and shoulders that I'd had since I was a kid. And I didn't know any different. And it wasn't until I started really paying attention to taking deeper breaths and breathing diaphragmatically, using my whole torso, all this tension began to melt away. But I'll mm. tell you, it took me about a year to retrain yeah. my body to automatically go to belly breathing instead of chest breathing. Yeah. It was remarkable though. It's worth the effort. And to be pain-free and to feel more relaxed in general, it's so worth it. You know, I was just working with a client today and we've been working together for like two years. And a lot of it has been around this awareness piece of noticing. He is a highly successful driven businessman and that has served him well. That strong effort and moving forward with all systems go, don't look back has served him so well in life. But now he's getting to a point where there is pain in a lot of areas. Here we are two years in and he now has these tools. The big yay today was that he was working out in the yard and before he had strong back pain, he noticed, I'm starting to get fatigued, I'll stop. It took two years to get to that point. That is a and deal for him. Huge. And what it does is it tells his body and his nervous system, I'm not gonna beat you up anymore. We're in this together. Now his body doesn't have to grip on out of fear that you're gonna hurt me if you don't slow down. Today, I felt like popping champagne because oh, it's he said- That's a big I, breakthrough. It's huge. Because those but patterns he, are deep. He engages his core, then the rest of his body can move more easily. And he said, I wish I didn't have to think about it all the time. And I said, well, you know, it's new pattern. You have to think about brushing your teeth, but you don't resent it. <laughs> One of the things that I say to my clients to encourage them is that it takes a tremendous amount of energy to be aware of an old habit. And some mm. of these habits have been around maybe their whole life. And it takes so much work to be able to identify the pattern and then have to think like your client did. But the fact is that once he stays with it, it will become a new habit because our bodies are so adaptable and our brains too, there's neuroplasticity, they're plastic. Once that new habit gets ingrained, that's his go-to and he doesn't have to think about it anymore. At the beginning of sessions with me, I say, we're going to go over a bridge together. We're at point A and you've identified what point B is, so where you want to be. And I tell them it's going to get a little awkward on the bridge. When we're in between, it's going to be messy action, trying these new things out. You're going to get frustrated because those old patterns are going to keep popping up. But if you trust the process and mainly if they trust themselves, I can get them across the bridge and over to point B. And then that becomes our new norm. Yeah. And isn't it a beautiful day when you sit back and realize, well, that's just what I do now. One of the things that you told me about was household yoga, and I'm not even going to pretend to name the Sanskrit word. Can you say that for us? <laughs> this word kaivalyam. I grew up, or I'm growing up, I should say, in a tradition that is householder yoga. This is within the lineage that I'm part of, which is vini yoga. Kaivalyam can be translated as freedom. Okay. This freedom is the freedom of choice, essentially. Once you have a pause between stimulus and response, having that pause is high volume. And why is it freedom? Because you are free from your patterning. You are free from everything that programmed you to react in a certain way. And now you are in a free place 
to respond thoughtfully. When I was a baby yogi, it's one of the first lessons that made sense to me, thoughtful response instead of knee-jerk reaction. And I thought, wow, well, that's worth it entirely. That's and then living I your life word. from a place of being awake. When we are so habitually living our lives, we lose that sense of connection to that deep sense of self and being fully in the moment and alive. And it's free from ego making choices. Your highest self, you are living there more. Now the practices are be in your breath, be in your body, be in the moment. These are all the things we have to practice every single day so that when we have that stimulus come in, we're not going to spin out. We have the freedom to choose our response. That's right. And the freedom and permission to pause. I feel like there's so much pressure that we take on to constantly be in action or reacting because that appears to be more the norm. Even practicing a pause is non-action. That's an action. It's action in inaction. <laughs> and then it's an important thing for us to remember that we have that choice. Yeah. Doing nothing is a choice. Absolutely. It is still an action. It gives you an opportunity to do it out of your wisdom. Yes, exactly. Welcome to the bonus segment of my podcast, Your Truth Revealed. I want to expand on some of the main points from my interview with yoga therapist Jess Golding. I believe the first and most important idea is that you have agency. In social science, agency is defined as your capacity to act independently and make your own free choices. You have agency to positively affect your well-being. You have more wisdom about your wellness than anyone outside of you. And you have agency to choose who you receive guidance from. Another person can guide and help you heal, but you are your own expert. Agency is freedom of choice. You can choose to pause and respond instead of reacting. Only in this way are you able to act outside of your habitual patterns. You can then respond consciously as opposed to having a knee-jerk reaction. Your habitual patterning is rooted in ego. And I don't mean ego as in being egocentric. That's when someone is unable to understand that another person's perspective may be different from their own. I mean ego as in your personality. That's the product of the experiences of your body, emotion, behavior, and mind. Ego is your sense of individuality, which is essential in your everyday life. However, problems arise when you become overly attached to your habitual reactions. What's needed is to recognize your true self. This is the abiding consciousness behind your ego. The true self is the core of who you are that is unchanging. It's your true nature, grounded in consciousness and in compassion. It's significant to pause and connect with your true self before responding. And remember that non-action is indeed an action. This pause is practicing mindfulness. It's paying attention on purpose in the present moment with acceptance. When you are mindful, you are able to observe your ego patterns and you can only change what you are first aware of. Your life is a gift, and hopefully you're moving towards more freedom. Freedom and growth is the evolution of being human, 
and self-awareness helps you discover choice and empowerment. Make sure to check out the show notes. There are great resources there. In episode 30, Jess talks about how there really is a yoga for everyone and that all spiritual teachings have the same underbelly of peace. Often the peaceful things are in nature. There's that saying, stop and smell the roses. You gaze at your garden. You have to purposefully turn to what is peaceful and drink it into your senses. You need beauty around you to have peace and calm. Then you get that sense of peace inside. It moves into deeper awareness of what am I spending my time doing? Where am I looking? If you want to have peace, you cannot continue to link to violence. Until next time, please subscribe and rate the show. Also, tune into season one for more on unleashing your physical and mental health potential. I'm Erica Marcoux. Thanks for listening.